Chapter Five of Clotel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clotel by William Wells Brown. Chapter Five: The Slave Market. What mothers from their children riven? What God's own image bought and sold? Americans to market driven, and bartered as the brute for gold. Whittier. Not far from Canal Street in the city of New Orleans stands a large two-story flat building surrounded by a stone wall twelve feet high, the top of which is covered with bits of glass, and so constructed as to prevent even the possibility of anyone's passing over it without sustaining great injury. Many of the rooms resemble cells in a prison. In a small room near the office are to be seen any number of iron collars, hobbles, handcuffs, thumbscrews, cowhides, whips, chains, gags, and yokes. A backyard enclosed by a high wall looks something like a playground attached to one of our large New England schools, and in which are rows of benches and swings. Attached to the back premises is a good-sized kitchen, where two old negresses are at work stewing, boiling, and baking, and occasionally wiping the sweat from their furrowed and swarthy brows. The slave trader Walker, on his arrival in New Orleans, took up his quarters at this slave-pen, with his gang of human cattle. And the morning after, at ten o'clock, they were exhibited for sale. There first of all was the beautiful Althesa, whose pale countenance and dejected look told how many sad hours she had passed since parting with her mother at Natchez. There was a poor woman who had been separated from her husband and five children, another woman whose looks and manner were expressive of deep anguish sat by her side. There, too, was Uncle Jeems, with his whiskers off, his face shaved clean, and the gray hair plucked out, and ready to be sold for ten years younger than he was. Toby was also there, with his face shaved and greased, ready for inspection. The examination commenced, and was carried on in a manner calculated to shock the feelings of any one not devoid of the milk of human kindness. "'What are you wiping your eyes for?' inquired a fat, red-faced man with a white hat set on one side of his head and a cigar in his mouth, of a woman who sat on one of the stools. "'I suppose I have been crying.' "'Why do you cry?' "'Because I have left my man behind.' "'Oh, if I buy you, I will furnish you with a better man than you left. I have lots of young bucks on my farm.' "'I don't want, and will never have, any other man,' replied the woman. "'What's your name?' asked a man in a straw hat of a tall negro man, who stood with his arms folded across his breast and leaning against the wall. "'My name is Aaron, sir. How old are you?' Twenty-five. "'Where were you raised?' "'In old Virginia, sir. How many men have owned you?' Four. "'Do you enjoy good health?' "'Yes, sir.' "'How long did you live with your first owner?' Twenty years.' "'Did you ever run away?' "'No, sir.' "'Did you ever strike your master?' "'No, sir.' "'Were you ever whipped much?' No, sir, I suppose I did not deserve it. How long did you live with your second master? Ten years, sir. Have you a good appetite? Yes, sir. Can you eat your allowance? Yes, sir, when I can get it. What were you employed at in Virginia? I worked in the tobacco field. In the tobacco field? Yes, sir. How old did you say you were? I will be twenty-five if I live to see next sweet potato digging time. I am a cotton planter, and if I buy you, you will have to work in the cotton field. My men pick one hundred and fifty pounds a day, 
and the women one hundred and forty, and those who fail to pick their task receive five stripes from the cat for each pound that is wanting. Now, do you think you could keep up with the rest of the bands? I don't know, sir. I expect I'd have to. How long did you live with your third master? Three years, sir. Why, this makes you thirty-three. I thought you told me you was only twenty-five. Aaron now looked first at the planter, then at the trader, and seemed perfectly bewildered. He had forgotten the lesson given him by Pompey as to his age, and the planter's circuitous talk, doubtless to find out the slave's real age, had the negro off his guard. "'I must see your back so as to know how much you have been whipped, before I think of buying,' said the planter. Pompey, who had been standing by during the examination, thought that his services were now required, and stepping forward with a degree of officiousness, said to Aaron, "'Don't you hear the gentleman tell you he want to examine your limbs? Come, unharness yourself, old boy, and don't be standing there.' Aaron was soon examined and pronounced sound, yet the conflicting statement about his age was not satisfactory. Fortunate for Althesa, she was spared the pain of undergoing such an examination. Mr. Crawford, a teller in one of the banks, had just been married and wanted a maid-servant for his wife, and passing through the market in the early part of the day, was pleased with the young slave's appearance and purchased her. And in his dwelling the quadroon found a much better home than often falls to the lot of a slave sold in the New Orleans market. The heart-rending and cruel traffic in slaves, which has been so often described, is not confined to any particular class of persons. No one forfeits his or her character or standing in society by buying or selling slaves or even raising slaves for the market. The precise number of slaves carried from the slave-raising to the slave-consuming states we have no means of knowing, but it must be very great, as more than forty thousand were sold and taken out of the state of Virginia in one year. Known to God only is the amount of human agony and suffering which sends its cry from the slave markets in negro pens, unheard and unheeded by man, up to his ear. Mothers weeping for their children, breaking the night silence with the shrieks of their breaking hearts. From some you will hear the burst of bitter lamentation, while from others the loud hysteric laugh, denoting still deeper agony. Most of them leave the market for cotton or rice plantations, where the slave whip ceaseless swings, with a noisome insect stings, with a fever demon strews poison with the falling dews, with a sickly sunbeam's glare through the hot and misty air. End of chapter 5